Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Raw Raw Beauty Podcast. I am your host and your Raw Raw Tweed Dip. And today I am with the lovely and beautiful Kia Baker. I mean, her resume is extensive, so get ready. <laughs> so Kia Baker is the creator of two podcasts. So currently it's of the Female Veterans Podcast and also Hot Topics Podcast. She is also a success coach for London Real Academy. She is also starting her own success company, um, coaching company, and she is utilizing a method called the Rose Method, which we'll talk about later on. She is also she has also served in the Navy for about what you said eight point five years or so, and then twenty years after that, you spent basically dedicating your life to help female veterans reacclimate and to kind of find their way into society again. And then on top of all that, she has an MBA in finance, and she's also a single mom of two. <laughs> and one more thing is she's also working on writing a book and she's working on two documentaries um, about the about female veterans and which we'll dive into a little bit later on. But I mean, when I think of your resume, I'm like, oh my goodness, it puts a lot of us to absolute shame. Like, I don't even know how you get sleep. It's insane. But welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being invited and I'm honored to be here with you. I know it's funny that when I first met you, okay, so Kia is actually my success coach in the London Real Academy. When I first met her was via, I, don't, I feel like I've known you for quite a while and it hasn't been that long. And when I first met you, I was like, damn, and she's gorgeous too. She's gorgeous. She's got her shit together. Her makeup look, I mean, you guys all can't see her right now, but her makeup is on fleek and she's always dressed to the nines without even trying. So that on top of the impressive resume, I mean, does it get any <laughs> better? <laughs> like, you flatter me. <laughs> you flatter no joke. Me. So I was like, she's the perfect representation of beauty because I was like, okay, she, you right off the bat, you already had this warming energy about you. So it was like, you were this beautiful combination of like strength and sweet. And as I told you, we, one of our first assignments for the Academy was to pick an alter ego. And my alter ego was Janet Jackson circa 1987 in her pleasure principle video that I mentioned to you before, because that dance video is badass, but we also know she's like super sweet. So I said it was like if Oprah and Janet Jackson was to have a love child and suddenly I manifested you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I received that. Thank you. So I manifested you. Here you are. And uh, you know, I mean, I guess one of the first questions I want to ask you, Kia, is what inspired you to, 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 to enter the Navy? Like, where did that come from? My mother. <laughs> I had no choice. Actually, really, she wanted me to go to the Army. So I went to private school. I went to a school called Milton Hershey School. It was um, founded by the Chocolatier. And, um, and so it's, well over 100 years old, and it's a great school, and I was accepted there on, um, for academics. And so uh, when it came time to graduate, I was like, uh, I think it was like my sophomore year, I said, Mom, it's time for me to start thinking about college. I need to start, you know, applying to schools and thinking about where I want to go and study. And she was like, um, we are poor. <laughs> How do you think you're going to pay for that, right? 
Well, she didn't know what she didn't know. There was tons, literally tons of ways I could have paid for it, but she didn't know. But her dream had also been to go to the army. And unfortunately, um, she had kids young. And once we were old enough, she got started getting herself in shape and start planning for her military career. And um, the, she aged out because she got pregnant. So the last year she could go in, she, right before she was about to ship off to boot camp, she discovered she was pregnant and she had to end her dream. So with me, she found a way to sort of live vicariously through that experience. And she also felt that um, joining the military would create a very firm and solid foundation for me to start my life. And I could always go to school. I could go while I was serving, I could go after, but she felt that being in the military was necessary and she felt that I was strong enough to go, which was actually a really important key factor in me going and feeling confident to, that I could do that. And, um, and so I rebelled and I chose the Navy instead of the Army. Yeah. That's interesting. What were you like in high school? I was a hippie. I was a grunge girl. I was the 90s. <laughs> so I was uh, totally into grunge. Nirvana was my favorite band. Um, I was sort of a new age hippie. I wore long braids, parted down the middle, round sunglasses, bell bottoms. I was always dra dressing in fashions that were beyond my years. I always loved older fashions. Um, styles from the 40s, 50s, 70s. Um, yeah, so I was always just really unique in my fashion sense then, as well as um, just sort of marched to the beat of my own drummer. But were you academic? Were you into academics in high school as well? So by high school, I was more into theater. I was into. I performed. I performed all the way through school. Um, I played in the band when I was younger. I played the piano for five years. I was the host of the school news program, as well as a roving reporter <laughs> um, for a few years. I was singing in the choir almost um, nine years, eight years, I think I sang in the choir. And I, we did big productions every year. So I was always part of the production, performing in various things. And then I, I think midway through, I fell in love with drama. And so I be, began doing... Um, performances. You have such a well-versed package. Like, I'm surprised you're not a Gemini. You might be a Gemini rising. What's your rising? So I know that you're a Libra. Yeah. Do you know what time you were born? Like, what, do you have any idea what your rising is? Uh, no, I, I don't, like, I don't um, get super, super into astrology, although I do believe the planet's energy affects us. So, um, but I do, I can tell you this, um, what I can remember from my birth chart is um, I am a Leo Venus and a Cancer Moon. <laughs> that's, well, that's all I can remember. <laughs> you know what? That, that's the sweetness. So it's combination of sweet and strong. All the right combinations, sister, is all I could say. Oh, thank you. You know, you know, the other thing I want to ask you is like, when you first entered the Navy, what were the sweet spots and what were the, the really tough spots? Like what do you feel, what was shocking to you when you first, when you entered and through the eight years that you were involved? So what took you by surprise and what, what were like the, the high highs and the low lows? So the thing about my military service is I was, I was really into this band, um, Courtney Love's band Hole, when mm -hmm. I went in. Right. So I had this song that she used to sing um, on the um, on this record. 
it, it went, I made my bed, I'll lie in it. And it was a phrase that my grandfather used to say. He had a lot of these phrases and that was one of them. And so that was my mantra sort of to get through boot camp was like, I'm, I chose this path and this is what I'm going to do. There's no other option. I, I figured out really early on to fade and become invisible. So I didn't take any leadership roles. I didn't strive for any leadership roles. Um, the minute I walked through the gate, because they sent me by train from Pennsylvania to Chicago, which is where I, I did boot camp and just north of Chicago, and, um, and where I was stationed actually for my five years of active duty. Um, and I walked through that gate and I took a look around and I could see people marching in formation and I could see, you know, the buildings and I walked through that gate and I had to stop at the gate guard um, to let them know who I was and so they could route me to where I needed to be. And I, as I, I was waiting for him to talk to me, I was looking around and I thought to myself, <laughs> this was a mistake. <laughs> I've got to get out of here. <laughs> like, this is not for me. And it was really funny because leading up to this, and I knew my sophomore year. So I actually enlisted in high school. Um, my junior year, I took the ASVAB. I scored really high. They said, you can have any job you want. So I said, okay. And I considered going ROTC, but I was kind of steered away from that in a way, in retrospect. But, um, but also the obligation so you owe years to the military when you, you're obligated for a set amount of years. Mine was eight. Um, I had five years active duty, and then I had some years of inactive reserve duty that I owed as well. And then, um, but if I went to college and did ROTC and went in as an officer, I would owe the military 12 years. What is and ROTC? Um, so it's, it's an officer training program okay. for, so what they do is they send you to college and they give you money every month and they pay for your school and they train you how to be an officer while you're in college. So when you come out of that, then you go to officer training school, which is like field school, um, which is like boot camp for enlisted. And then, um, you go when you're an officer and you're a leader within the military, right? Which is something I could have done. I scored well enough to do it. I would have, could have gone to college, would have been an issue. What stuck with me was the time owed. And, and for a girl who was 17 at the time, I was thinking, wow, I'll be in my 30s when, I'll, when I get out of the military, like my life will be gone. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I thought then, <laughs> by the way. So I was like, no, I'll just go in, enlisted, do five years, and I'll be done and I can go, uh, it'll be my foundation, my springboard, right? And then I'll go on with my life and I'll figure it out from there. And so um, I, I knew that that day in boot camp, looking around that that was the first day to scratch off my calendar. And then it was like prison, right? I was like just scratching days off my calendar until I could get out. But I had a really incredible experience kind of until the day I didn't. And um, being in the military, I'm very, very proud of, I'll always be proud of, but it is um, uh, a unique experience to be a woman in a male-dominated environment. So um, obviously I will say that it comes with its challenges and you see and witness things that you don't expect as a young girl who's ideal, who's had a very sort of sheltered 
life at private school. <laughs> um, when you get into that kind of environment, it's very different. And I will also say there's a lot of programming that happens at boot camp, which they have to break you down and build you back up. They have to make you that sail soldier, sailor, airman, marine, coasty sort of thing, um, National Guards woman or man, and they they reprogram you. What do you mean? For give me, me an example. Like, how do they break you down in order to build you back up? Like, give me some examples. I have no idea. I don't know anything about this stuff, so it's interesting. <laughs> well, it's a lot of tactics, right? So, for example, they tell you you can bring certain things with you from home uh, for boot camp, but then when you get there, they tell you everything you brought has to go. It's like a tactic. So then suddenly you you lose everything that's familiar to you have nothing from home. They just ship it back, right? The next phase is like getting your hair cut, you know, and they move you through this process. It's like a being, um, it's a machine. It's really a machine. It's like any big industry, like the music industry or the beauty industry, it's a machine. And so they're moving you like a cog in a wheel through this machine. You're just a gear that's turning. And what they do is they shape you so there's a lot of education, which I was surprised about in boot camp. There was lots of classwork, but um, a lot of the physical activity, like everything they do, the, the, the giving you um, 10 minutes to eat. Um, one of the first things that breaks you down as a woman, from my experience, was um, no bathroom door stalls. A hundred girls, five minutes to use the bathroom. You know, you, you, it's, it's an amazing, incredible, shocking, horrible, <laughs> like all of those, you have so many, like you're overwhelmed by this is just what, and then at the same time you're horrified, but you have no time to deal with it because you have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so, is that even, is, is that including time. showering as well? Shower, open base showers. So, I mean, it's, you're rotating through, I think there were eight heads in a big square box, which was the, sh the shower room. And, um, and so that's kind of how it was. I mean, you were in there, you had a just a few minutes, the next group had to rotate through. And that was, you know, that was life. You're in an open bay with racks. Everyone's in the same room. Like, you know, you're cleaning with socks and a toothbrush. I mean, it's just everything that you do in boot camp is geared to sort of crush your previous existence and rip you out of that civilian life and indoctrinate you into the military way. What about in terms of words? But for me, like, did they say things like, words? they say words to break you down? Like, who do you think you are? Like, I don't know why, but I imagine them saying things like well, trying to humble people. <laughs> I don't know. It yes. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of physical exercise. Um, lots of, you know, you do anything wrong, you got to drop, you got to do push-ups. You know, you got to, sometimes if you make mistakes, so you don't follow instructions correctly, they, they cycle you, which is, or beat you, they call it sometimes. And it's like a lot of rapid pace calisthenics, like exercises back to back to back to back until you want to die, <laughs> essentially. Um, but, you know, you know, 11, 11 minutes to eat, I think it was, and the galley, you know, no talking, like just a lot of rules, um, yelling at you if you, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, the Navy, as far as boot camp goes, is fairly easy. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> okay. There were some really rough moments, but 
by comparison to like the Marines, for example, it's, it's like probably a cakewalk. Um, so I'm not complaining by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying that it was pretty rough um, to get adjusted to not having that, um, anything like that before. I had structure at private school. It was very structured, but this took structure to a whole new level. And then there's a lot of psychological things um, in the, the classroom where you're learning. You know, like, you know, you learn that you have to take orders, right? And even if you personally do not agree with that order, you have to follow it. So imagine, for example, and just to make it really, really real, um, you have to, we are in a wartime scenario and you have to go into a village and your orders are to shoot anything that moves. But you go into that village and you see some kids running across. What do you do? That's the, that's real. That's real. You follow orders is what you do. And you live with that. That's why, <laughs> that is why we have a lot of vets that are working through healing, hopefully we'll say. Okay. So that was as you entered and, and, you know, going back to your highest, highest, you mentioned there were some really good things that came out of it. And then also like the lowest point, what, what did that look like? Your highest and lowest points. So I think my lowest point was, um, recognizing that a base is a lot like a high school. Mm-hmm. It's a small place. There's a lot of rumors. There's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of um, a lot of everything that you see at high school, really. And um, but these are adults. And um, I think the lowest point for me was I almost died. I got really, really sick, and um, I I was in the hospital. I was in ICU. And they had notified my parents and they, my mother, and they notified my family. And um, I had been sick with a kidney infection. It, it turned septic. And um, I ended up being in the hospital for 12 days. I lost 40 pounds. Wow. They, they told me if I had waited another day, um, I would have it would have been too late. It would have spread too far and they would have just had to make me comfortable until I passed away. Like it was very, very close. So while I was in the hospital, I had a doctor come in. He was an officer and he came in and he said, he, um, he took my blood. The first thing it was, he took my blood, but my veins were shot. And um, I said, they, I told him that they had been using a certain type of needle on me. I'm, I'm, a hospital corpsman by trade. Like I was a pharmacist, which is what I ended up doing in the military at the end of my career, but I was trained medically. So I would be a medic. Most people are more familiar with that term, but it's called a hospital corpsman in the military or in the Navy. And, um, and so I told him, I said, I, you know, this is a better needle to use on me because my veins are shot. They've been taking so much blood from me and IVs and all of that. And he pretty much told me that he was gonna do what he was gonna do and he hurt me. Um, and uh, he hurt me, you know, with the needle. You know, he, did, he used too large of a, a needle. It was painful. I was pissed, okay? The next thing 
he came back in and he said, um, they, they told me that if I didn't start moving around, they were going to have to give me this, um, this medication that prevents clotting, blood clots. And it's a shot and they give it to you in your stomach. And I said, no. You said, <laughs> I said no to now. that. I, I said, no, um, that's not going to happen. And so he, he was like, no, that's what we're doing. And I said, no, I've been getting up. I've been walking around. And he said, well, we're going to do it. And I said, you know what? I have patient rights. I know my rights. I no longer want you as my care provider. And he got really pissed <laughs> because I'm this little enlisted person sort of talking back to it. Like, I think he was a lieutenant or a lieutenant commander. And so the next thing I knew, um, there was a rumor going around about me uh, around the base saying that I was a drug addict and I was going through withdrawals and I was, um, and I was acting like I was being a bad patient. Like I was, I was acting out like, and have freaking out and like you're whiling out and like, yeah, totally screaming. (laughs) Right. Like, like like I was popping off. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, yeah. Yeah. And that, and that was, and not to mention it was corroborated by another, um, one of uh, a, a more senior personnel who the reason I ended up in the hospital in the first place is because I went into sick bay and to our sick hall. And I said, yes, I have a stomach ache. And they told me, Oh, listen, you're constipated. Just go home, take this laxative and you'll be fine. And I, I, because I worked in the pharmacy at that time, I was like, "Mm, I don't think I should take this laxative. My stomach's already upset. I'm not going to do it. But three days of being really sick and in a lot of pain, I thought, well, maybe, maybe he's right. Maybe I'm wrong. So I took the laxative and that's what dehydrated me even further, making the kidney infection worse. So really he misdiagnosed me is the story. And um, I said it. (laughs) I set it out. I was like, I was misdiagnosed. He told me it was this. This is what he did. So this guy was already um, under review because of that. Right. So he was pissed. Now you've got this guy pissed at me. This little girl, this like little 22 year old girl. (laughs) <laughs> saying, um, and these were like grown men, like they were much older, like forties, but you know, and, and so they're saying they got together and we're like, no, we are not doing anything wrong because of course I complained, I made a complaint and they were like, we're not doing anything wrong. She's a drug addict. And they spread this rumor around saying that. And the reason why they spread this rumor around was because it was the nineties and the way that I was able to cope with the rigidity of what I was doing, as I told you, I was sort of a new age hippie. Um, that was more my personality. Um, the way I was able to cope with being in the military and that way of life was I would go to all of these underground parties in the city on the weekends. Really, I like to go dancing. I was part of a dance battle crew and we would go battle our dance crews in the city. (laughs) Um, And so I was just like, if you ever saw the show ABDC, it was kind of like that, where we would just battle other dance crews and, um, and it would, and go these underground parties. And so uh, after a while, the Navy became aware that we were going to these underground parties where there were rumored to be lots of drugs. There is a zero drug 
tolerance policy in the military. And so it became kind of an issue. And that's what led to my military experience becoming less awesome, we'll say. And you were 22 at the, the, the time. How did you even, you know, you, you had a couple more years that you owed to them afterwards, you said, right? Yeah. I mean, definitely that led me on a, on a downward on a downward spiral with the the military. But I think, um, so I think after that, one more really harrowing thing happened. I don't think I've shared this publicly either, by the way. Um, I was taken into custody by NCIS, which is the military's version of sort of the FBI. And I was interrogated and accused of being a drug dealer. And I was not. You just gave me Mm -hmm. absolute chills. Did you have, I don't know, did you have any confidants or friends that you were able to confine in or your mom or did they, did your family know at all while this was going on? My family, my family didn't know. Um, I, what happened was I worked in the pharmacy, so I was a pharmacist and I love my job. I, um, I still love pharmaceuticals. It's amazing. Um, when done correctly, they can be amazing, um, amazingly helpful. Um, so essentially I was working and I was called out of my workplace to go to the security office where two plain clothes men, two big men were waiting for me. I was told to get in full uniform because I wore um, a uniform that was allowed for pharmacy workers. And, um, and I had no idea who these men were. I'd never seen them before. No one gave me any sort of any information. They just said, Baker, go with these men. And I was terrified. They put me in handcuffs. They put me in the back of a plane car. Um, I literally thought I was going to go be raped. And they took me to a building that I'd never seen anyone go in and out of. I thought it was just an old building that was no longer in use. They took me up to a top floor. They took me into a room with um, a two-way mirror. I knew it was. I was aware that it was. And they proceeded to interrogate me. Uh, They had wiretapped a guy and they had sent him to ask me questions and try to get what they, who they were really after was a friend of mine. They just didn't like him. They just didn't like him. And they were trying to set him up. And um, while I was good friends with him, so they thought maybe they could get something from me to use to, you know, so, but fortunately I had a friend who's uh, had a, who had um, connections, we'll say. And she said, you know, this guy, this, I had like a guy that was a stalker and this was the guy that was wearing a wire and he was trying to like engage me into these conversations um, that would provide evidence so that he could be released from the brig, which is the military prison. And, um, and so, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what happened. And I, 
ask them, I think what saved me actually, because first of all, I was innocent, let's just say that. But my, and my friend had said, I said, this guy's stalking me. He won't leave me alone. He keeps asking me. And my friend said, you know what? Um, Let me do some digging and I'll get back to you. And she got back to me and she was like, hey, I heard that kid was just released from the brig. He's got drug charges. Don't, don't talk to him. You know, don't, she's like, get him. So my friends and I said, um, I said, listen, I can't help you. I have some civilian friends. Maybe they can help you in the city, you know, um, go and call them. But it was like a friend's number. And when he, who was going to call there, she said, you know, sorry, I can't help you. And just sort of hung up on him or whatever. And so that was the strategy to lose the kid over my little young mind instead of just telling him take a hike. Right. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's kind of what happened. And then when they, it was a very strange sensation hearing a conversation I had with someone played back to me. I'll never forget it. This I'll never sounds, forget it. This sounds like a fucking movie. This definitely needs <laughs> to be part of that documentary you're you're talking about. I hope it is. I mean, for a 22-year-old too, that's terrifying. It was. You know what I Here's the thing. I mean, forgive me. I don't know much about what takes place in the military or even the Navy, but you were saying that when you what happens if you're like, "Screw you. I don't want to do the 8 years. I don't want to do the years that are owed." Like what happens if you just kind of discharge yourself? Like, is it highly <laughs> frowned upon? Like, what happens? I don't know. I love that you said, is it highly frowned upon? Yes. <laughs> it is highly frowned upon. You go to jail. Go oh, to the break. Okay, that's serious. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, you sign a contract and everything, basically, you when you're young. That's nuts. Yes. So they give you this like crazy long contract to sign when you're young and you don't even like you're impressionable then and you don't even know what you're really getting That's yourself they into. Want. Shit. And you're healthy. You're healthy. You're impressionable. You sign a contract. You swear an oath. You raise your hand. You become property of the United States government. You don't have any human rights or civil rights any longer. You are property of the United States government. That is insane. That allows a lot of things. The, the United States military has its own laws. How did, you, how did you get through the next remaining years knowing that all of the, like you were being framed and they were like trying to <laughs> fuck you over and like what they were trying to save yeah. their asses, but like, how did you get through the next couple of years? Well, I completely changed. I didn't realize this till years later, what I did to survive that. But I can tell you that from that moment on, I mean, I, I clearly I got out of it. I explained to them the part about the dancing that I just like to dance. Um, I asked them what they were accusing me of selling and they said crystal meth and I had never even seen it. I had heard of it like just recently. It was like a new thing too. And I had just like heard of it around, but I thought, oh, that sounds terrible. Like, why would you, why would you want to put anything up your nose? <laughs> I don't know. But, I, but that was me at the time. I mean, before I even went, actually, before I even went into the, the military, I was super like a huge fan of Nancy Reagan and just say no. And I was like all in on that, all growing up. <laughs> like, so, I mean, it was really a strange sensation to have this brought to me. And I'm not saying I was an angel because I wasn't an angel. And anyone who knows me in the military knows that I did pretty much whatever I wanted to do. 
Okay. I'm a very free spirit. I, what I would say is the brainwashing and programming didn't really take, which made my military career more difficult than others. That's fair. That's part of the problem. But also that's a part of that story too, is that you were yeah. not like rebellious, but kind of where you're like, I'm still going to be me. I am, yeah. I'm, you're, you were still you and you didn't let it complete. You were playing the game while you could. Yeah. Is what yeah. it sounds like. I, I learned very, very early, thanks to the military actually, that the real world is a very fake place. Like my plays and the roles that I put on in high school theater were more real than the real world could be. What do you we'll mean? Say. Like, how did, how did you learn that? It's just because when you were suddenly you were living in this military world where you're like, wait a second, I don't identify with anything here. Did you mm-hmm. suddenly when you were placed into this the is real unreal. world? I think this is, that's the best way to live is what I heard. I don't know if you, are you familiar with, um, there's a guy called Dr. Joe Dispenza. Do you know who that is? Love Joe Dispenza. I love him. So he, like that, man. <laughs> yes, me too. I know. Hopefully we can get him on at some point, but he says, you know, that happiness <laughs> is when you can live outside of your environment, outside of your body, outside of time period. And it sounds like you found your mm-hmm. way to live outside of what the environment and every single environment that you've been in kind of dictates. That's really freaking cool. I did that with the help of plant medicine. In the military? You mean like psychedelics or like, what do you mean? Like psychedelics. You know, I feel you. Yeah, I I feel you. It's, um, it's interesting. When did you, when did you dabble in that? I've done that before too. And it's like, shouldn't be for like woo woo and to get you know crazy and high i mean i admit it when i first did it it was definitely one of those experiences where they gave you too much and you didn't know what the hell you were doing you're seeing colors but the older <laughs> i've become i'm like okay it's now like a deeper connection type of experience so for you when did when did uh you have access to that and like i'm sure it was at the underground parties tell me <laughs> like give Absolutely me the scoop it was it absolutely was, but it was never about that for me. For me, I was, um, and it took me a while, and that was a very big decision for me to do, um, but I started getting sick in the military too. I'm actually a disabled veteran, and I have invisible illnesses, so it's, it's, a, it's much more difficult to be a disabled veteran and have people understand that you struggle when they can't see your your ailments, you know? So I started getting sick in the military. I don't know why. I suspect it was probably something that was in an immunization and not necessarily a vaccine itself, but just something that was probably, I don't know, maybe tested on us. Um, That's not impossible, but I have no evidence. I just mysteriously got sick um, and stayed sick. And it will be sick for the rest of my life. So once that happened, I had to find ways to try to heal and try to be okay and try to continue on. So I started looking for alternative therapies. Um, really, I'm, I, I study pharmacology in the military. I don't know what else I can really say about that. But I had enough uh, education and awareness to 
um, try to find ways to medicate myself, but not in the standard self-medicating, like the way you think of self-medicating, but in a way of how can I sort of heal myself enough to keep going until my career is done in the military, right? How can I try to live knowing that I'm getting sick so often? What do I need to do to try to heal myself? And it's more like try an Eastern to, approach. Right. So, um, so, and also it was fun. I'm not gonna fake a front. It was super fun. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's kind of what it happened. It was it happened about midway through my um, military career. Ironically, um, when all those rumors started, I hadn't really been into that stuff. So like, it was kind of the catalyst for me to go, well, you know what? All of this is bullshit. So I'm going to do whatever I want, you know? Um, and you're certainly more the natural medicines too. It wasn't like yeah. you were getting into no, the process shit at all. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, I'm not about that life. Mm. But um, certainly I knew people who were while I was in the military, by the way. So a lot of things were happening. You know, while I was being persecuted and my friends were being persecuted, I was seeing a lot of things happening. I mean, one of the first things that happened that made me aware that not everything is as you think it would be when you go into the military is um, there was a huge drug bust on the base. Everybody from the lowest ranks to the upper ranks, there's a huge coke sting. And it was like, and before then we weren't getting drug tested. And then after that, we started getting drug tested regularly. Also, there was a rapist loose on the base for like three months, right? Like How it was many terrifying reporting? to me. Like, that is I can only remember of three. I'm sure if I talked to some of the girls I served with, they might remember other things. I didn't know any of the girls. I just remember the sheer terror of having to come home at night and walk from your vehicle into the barracks especially if you happen to be alone. We started safety in numbers, right? So um, definitely, so those are things you don't expect to happen while you're serving. Um, also, lots of things happened when, you know, there's lots of fraternization, which they say is not supposed to happen um, between, you know, um, teacher, student, um, company commander, as they were called now, or called then, I think they're called RDCs now. Um, but they, um, with, with new recruits, and so lots of fraternization. Um, but forced and upon, then, you would say? You know, there's... Like forced No, upon? no, so it, okay. a lot of it consent, some, some of it consensual. I'm, some, I'm sure some of it was grooming. I'm sure some of, there were assaults that happened that you hear, heard about after the fact. You know what I mean? There was domestic violence that was happening. There was um, my roommate in, in uh, when I first became staff was being sexually harassed. This is in my book, actually. A lot, actually, my book is based on my experience in the military, but there, it's fiction. So there's a lot of, um, a, a lot of story, but also there's a lot of actual facts that um, are in are in the book, and one of them is a story about my roommate, who is a character in my book, and she is my roommate in the book, or the character's roommate, and she is being sexually harassed, and they go to their chain of command because there are two different chain of commands to try to get this harassment to stop, and they are sort of pushed off. 
delayed, you know, time passes, the girl's still getting, you know, um, harassed and eventually they're told there's nothing that can be done. And this actually happened. We fought really hard to get her moved out of that clinic where she was being told everything from you're an idiot to your hair is ugly to I can see your boobs to your body, like body shaming her from the next minute to saying, you know, like open your shirt, like everything, like everything um, to touching her to, and I watched this vibrant, amazing, funny, fun, loving, sweet soul diminish over a course of a summer and become suicidal. That's fucking awful. And And no one would do anything and no one would do anything. In fact, she, we were told that if we kept on, she was told if she kept on, there would be consequences. And I said, you know, let's take it up above their head. Cause there's a, you have to go up your chain of command, but if you run into a snag in the chain of command, you're supposed to be able to go above them to the next level up. And she wouldn't do it. She just wouldn't do it. And so a lot of things happened after that with her, but ultimately it did end up with her trying to take her life. And then they moved her out of the, that clinic, that particular clinic. And then she started to thrive. But by then they were like, well, you tried to kill yourself. So now we're going to put you out of the military. Wow. And Key, you were saying too, I was listening to one of your talks that you did on YouTube and the, the numbers you gave were alarming. So you were saying that this happens more than the public knows. So her story is a lot more common than people know. What was the percentage you gave? You were like one at like... What was it? It was a one out of three, uh, one out of 100 men, which is, and this is a, the statistics are old. I haven't looked at them in the, since uh, for about two years now, maybe Mm -hmm. a year since before COVID happened and a one out of 100 men, but which also doesn't seem like a lot, but when you realize how many men are in the military, it really adds up. And that's, what report because you know men report less than women and a lot of women don't report either so um i think it's more like four out of five these days but i think the statistic is three out of four i mean when you think it's like your mom your sister your aunt your daughter that gives me when they go into the military they're gonna be be assaulted they're gonna be raped that's insane to me. What, like, yeah. I mean, and I guess the other question too is I'm a little surprised by, you know, you were saying, and what I also learned about you is you spent 20 years basically trying to, uh, you know, help a lot of these female veterans reacclimate to, to civilized life. And I guess the question here is, do they not provide like how many years of mental do they provide mental health for women after they leave the service and how does all of that work yeah so what happens is a lot of people who are going into the military not everyone but a good handful of of these girls are leaving troubled homes and the military is their way to 
to have a firm foundation for their life and launch a new beginning and create a life. I mean, you know, I said all these things about my time in and that happened, but at the same time I had my first apartment, I was on my own at 19 years old, I had a car, I had a well, a, a decent paying job. You know what I mean? Like I went to work, I came home, I had tons of friends, you know, I had a nice lifestyle, all things considered. Right. Um, and I was young. I was able to be on my own and provide for myself. I even sent money home and helped my mom pay off her mortgage. So something I was really proud to do, you know, because I was able to be um, empowered as a woman on my own at 19 years old. Right. So that, that was huge. That's a big deal. Um, but at the same time, a lot of these girls, they come in and I was blessed to be in an environment with a lot of women. But there are some units where you're one of four women, or there's very few. And not every base is the same. The leadership affects how the base is going to be. So if it, you're on a toxic base, like Fort Hood was, where the girl, about a year ago, a girl was murdered on base, Vanessa Guillen. I don't know if you heard of it, but it became a big deal. There was a march on Washington last summer. Uh, we went into like full mode, activism mode. Um, and there's no reason why you should go into the military and have to fear your brothers in arms. We understand there's a threat of death from an enemy, right? But we shouldn't have to be worried that we're going to be murdered by our brothers in arms. They're supposed to have our six. They're supposed to get our back. Talk to you. Yeah, I right? agree. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, a lot of times that's not the case. Those are the people that you have to really watch out for as well. Like as a, a young woman, depending on where you're stationed, in fact, anywhere you're stationed, you should keep your head on a swivel and, and you know, be aware that you can't just presume that you're safe all the time. That's fucked up. So it's like you're, you're, <laughs> yeah. a lot of these women are going into this thinking that, okay, they're going to somehow get something out of it and be better. And then they leave even more fucked up. Like, exactly. What, exactly. what has been your biggest challenge to so working with these women you know, once they're veterans and having them, you know, normalize them for society, like what, what has been the biggest challenge that you see for them and also for you mentoring? Like, so it's, it's, I got into this in a sort of grassroots sort of way, but when I left the military, it was like the happiest day of my life. I thought I was like graduating from college. I got a letter of appreciation from the captain. Like my, my, uh, the pharmacy staff, they really loved me. They threw me a party. It was like, I said goodbye to all my friends. And you I made it so through excited. some shit. <laughs> yeah, I was so excited. I made it through all I want. I could tell you all I wanted to do was leave with an honorable discharge. That's all. That was like my dream. I just, I just want to leave with an honorable discharge discharge. And I did that. I did. It was such a proud moment, all things considered. And, um, and I, and I, I had, by that time I was married, got married really young. 
I later realized that was one of the things I did to sort of change my image. I went on, so you know how like um, uh, when a celebrity gets sort of caught up in some mess, they go on like a damage control public relations sort of tour <laughs> and they have like, they call in the big guns to help fix their image. Well, I did that for myself while, to finish my career in the Navy. So that's how I made it to the end. And part of that was getting married. Although I did love my husband at the time, but I realized that probably I shouldn't have married him. He probably was just meant to be a boyfriend, but I was so somewhere in me like reacting to what happened that I went into sort of overdrive of trying to change. Right. And that was part of it. So I settled down. I got married. You know, I started going to college. I stopped going to parties. I stopped dancing altogether um, for a long time. I went back to it after I got out um, a few years later. Um, But it, it just, it, you know, I changed, I shifted everything. So then the day that I got out, I was super excited because I was like, well, this is like graduation from university for me. I'm finally going to be able to be my own person. I no longer belong to the United States government. I'm a human again. I'm no longer property. And so I left thinking, you know what, I'm going to slay the world. I knew that I couldn't go into pharmacy because the civilian world does not recognize military training adequately the way that it should. And most areas. So instead of me just being able to take an exam, right, and prove that I knew pharmacy and go be a pharmacist in the civilian world, I would have had to go to college. And I thought it was a waste of money to do some, go to school to learn something I'd been doing for the last three and a half years. So I decided to go into corporate. And what happened after that (laughs) was three years later, I found myself jobless, (laughs) about to be homeless, and left penniless by my husband of five years. That's insanity. I was like at rock bottom. I had, I had, and I had been sort of screwed by the school I was going to, so I had to drop out of fashion school. And I was just like, sort of feeling like I was at the bottom of life. And fortunately, my girls came through um, I ended up getting a job. This woman I met um, gave us an apartment essentially and was like, hey, I know you're down on your luck. Me and my best friend from the military, she's like, I know that you're going through a divorce and you're down on your luck. I've been divorced. She was like divorced like six or seven times. Uh, this is a rich lady in Chicago. She owned a building and she was like, I'm gonna let you stay in this building and let you get on your feet, right? It was a gorgeous apartment. It was like, what luck, right? The universe. Ironically, I had read a book while I was splitting up from my husband called The Science of the Mind, which first introduced me to the concepts that Joe Dispenza teaches. And so I was sort of using these techniques and these strategies before I really fully even understood them, right? And so this is what manifested for me, a great job, a great apartment. And I was suddenly went from rock bottom to sort of living like this fantastic life. And then I, I started learning things like how to apply for my benefits, how to do all these things as a veteran, because for, for a while, I didn't even put being a veteran on my resume. I didn't, I couldn't get a job if I did. Um, So I had taken that off and um, and I, I got this job because this company happened to have a bunch of veterans there. And my friend said, Hey, they have veterans here. She's like, I think they like them here. So you should apply. And I got the job. And then once I was sort of settled and I had learned all these things and I learned how to get my benefits and take advantage of those things, um, I started to just come across people who needed help with it. 
and they just would like land in my lap, friends, acquaintances. I think back then it was MySpace I was on and I would meet people there and I would, you know, come across a vet that sounded suicidal and I'd like reach out and we'd start to talk and then they'd, you know, get on their way. And, and I would just cross paths with people and help them out. And that's just what I did. I didn't join an organization. I didn't start an organization. I just did it. I just, it just is what happened. And it wasn't just women either. It was guys, it was women. Um, but I would help them sort of figure out the system and start getting what they were owed because they served their country and they were owed this. They put their lives and they volunteered to put their lives on the line. Cause that's what you do when you swear that oath, you put your life on the line for this country. Right. Yeah. And it blows my mind. Yeah. And um, so at least they should get their benefits. And so that's what I did. And I did, I did that for 20 years until it was time to take it a little further. I read an article about the suicide rate of female veterans compared to civilian women. And it was, it said it was 250% higher than the suicide rate of civilian women. Gosh, and I thought, oh my God, women who serve their country are killing themselves at a rate of 250% more than re like other people. Oh my God. So, like what is going on here? And then I started thinking about everything I experienced and I thought, you know, not everybody has a good experience in the military. I mean, not everybody has a bad one, but I started thinking, you know, I don't know anyone who hasn't at least witnessed some sort of racism, sexual harassment, uh, um, homophobia, uh, bullying, all of these things, like at least witnessed it. And a lot of veterans I knew were sick with something. Right? <laughs> like, so I thought I gotta do something and especially females because we have such a unique experience serving that I felt like our stories needed to get out there. There's such a culture of silence around service in general, but especially among women, because they, when they come out, if they've been assaulted or they experienced a bad experience, they don't want to even tell people they've been in the military, let alone, let alone get help, mental health services like we were talking about earlier. Is that, so is that available? Yes. Yes, it is. And they don't how long it. is it available for? It depends on when you served, how long you served for, but, um, and at different levels. But if you are a disabled veteran, you have lifetime uh, free access to healthcare. If you're uh, a wartime veteran as well. So the, there's different requirements for in different tiers. So yes, if you have been assaulted, you can get support. There's also the vet center. The vet center will, will also um, help with mental health care needs for, and other services for veterans as well. So there's, res there's a lot of resources out there. Do you feel like there's a stigma against, like, I don't know, it's funny, I was talking to a girlfriend just yesterday, uh, another one that I interviewed, and she was saying, it's it's so funny, um, she was just saying six years ago, when we knew somebody that had a therapist, right off the bat, we would be like, oh, what's this person's problem? But nowadays, it's starting to become more normal, and I love the idea of promotion of mental health. Is it, would you say today, um, that it's a stigma in that particular world to get mental health and a lot of people want to shove it under the rug because it's so painful to look at again? Um, 
I think that we have to, we, we have to break that stigma. And actually, I think more and more people want to do the healing work, right? They want to heal. They want to be better, you know? And I, I think it's important to continually say, hey, it's okay. You went through something, you know? There's no shame in seeking support and seeking help and reaching out. But this is why there's, um, I would say that there's, there's need for more women like you to tell their story. That's so empowering to lead. I mean, it's like the idea of leaders serve. So I think it's extremely beautiful what you're doing. Like I already thought you were beautiful when I first met you, but then like to hear your story, I'm like, holy shit, she's like a double, triple, and not even a threat. I shouldn't even say a threat because you're definitely not a threat to the world. You are someone that the world needs more of. So I admire that everything that you're doing. And it's like, again, life, I would say is not, it's not the easiest, but it could be depending on how you shift perspective and especially the way you've shifted perspective and how you continue to shift perspective through your journey in the Navy, through you even trying to reacclimate through this situation of you almost being homeless to now where you are like even during the time that you were going through like a little you, you were almost like you were out of a job did you have your sons by then no 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 i was much younger i was only out of the military um three years at that time and um it, my first marriage was just ending i didn't have any kids with my first husband we were very young when we got married i think i was 23 when i married him and so um against everyone's judgment. <laughs> I, did, I did it anyway. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it was a, definitely a life lesson I had to go through. And I learned a lot from that experience. But fortunately, I didn't have any kids to have to go through that with me. But it actually was literally a period of about a month all things considered, like from the time that I realized that he was, he had, he had taken all of his money and was had a new place um and and i had been laid off for like two months from my job i worked at a hotel so um so it was like just this moment like it was a short moment but in the amount of stress that <laughs> was it was really really overwhelming and i had to be like wow I have to leave, you know, it was just a perfect storm like that. We lived in the, these old apartments in Chicago on the north side and our, our landlord was this old man and it was like this old brownstone that hadn't been renovated probably since the 40s and it was like from the 20s, but it was, that was the last renovation. And so um, it was kind of run down and I just think he was tired of it. So he sold it, but he didn't tell any of us and we've been living there for years. And so suddenly we got, got a knock on the door and it's the new owner saying, you got to go, you got, you got to this time period and you have to be out of here. So it was just um, a perfect storm of things that happened all in the same like three month period. But um, I had suddenly one day was like, you know, this is real. Like I, going home to my family is not an option. I've got to sink or swim. 
Do you feel that everything you have gone through in life makes you even more thirsty for life? Like I look at you and I'm like, oh, like, damn, she's got a lot going on. But does it like looking back in retrospect, are you sometimes shocked at everything you've, you've been through? And does it inspire you to, to live to the absolute fullest? So there was a time in my life where I thought like it was never enough because I spent almost 10 years really sick. After I got pregnant with my first son, I was pretty much nearly bedridden. I had a kidney that was slowly dying and I didn't know it. And, um, and oddly enough, having it removed was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Um, but I was really sick. And it was during that time that I went to school because I was like, well, I'm an accelerated learner, right? I cannot learn at a normal rate. I have to learn quickly um, or I get bored and then I don't do it. And so I had to go to school online because it was the only place that I could take accelerated courses at the time. Now they're more common, but back then it was really hard to find them. And so while I was sick, I stayed home with my son who was small. So, and I had a friend that lived with me as well. My friend from the Navy graciously moved in and helped me with my son while his father worked all the time. And she worked odd hours and then helped me with my kid. And I went to school and took care of my son as well. So um, that's how I went to school. And um, that was what kept me sane, to be honest with you because I spent a lot of years in therapy dealing with the fact that my life didn't turn out the way I thought it was supposed to by the time I was 30. So by the time I was probably 32, I was having like a breakdown. I was at postpartum. I didn't know it. <laughs> my family did an intervention and <laughs> took me to mental health, like drove me to mental health, made the appointment and took me um, so that I could get some help. And I was having a breakdown because I felt like I had so much potential that I didn't get to ever live up to. And I was sick. My illnesses were all worse. The kidney was failing. And it was just like, I felt like a really old woman and like my life was over. And um, I struggled with that. It was really, really hard. And so school was my saving grace because school helped me to feel like I was working towards something. And it kept my mind, I'm, I love, I'm a lifelong learner. I love to learn. So it kept my mind focused on um, consuming information. And you had, and you had to get results. I think that every bit of results that we can get in some capacity is always going to be encouraging. And what's interesting is I feel not even as women, I think in general, we're now living in society where we're constantly, we're either comparing ourselves to where we thought we should have be to, or to the, the person on Instagram and this world about comparisons. But the moment that you're like, okay, I'm just going to compare myself to yesterday. And yeah. was I better? I think exactly. it, that feels like that's what the key is. Like, so you felt like your, your breakthrough was the moment that you were, you know, starting to use your brain again, and you were starting to, to get results in a certain way. And I, I feel like, do you feel like those results is what give you, gave you the belief that you can get back up and that I would never know that looking at you right now, I would never know this entire journey that you went through. This story, this story needs to be told because women go through these crazy battles and not even as crazy as you went through. So I kind of feel like you, I mean, call me crazy, but I feel 
like you were meant to go through your journey so that you can share this with other women and let them know no matter where you are in life, you are going to make it. And no matter where you are in life, you just compare yourself to who you were yesterday instead of where you should have been. Because I mean, again, it's that, that idea of if we can live outside of timing, right? If we can live outside of what we think, where we're supposed to be in terms of age, we, that's where happiness exists. And I don't like, I, I don't know. It, it, this, this story just blows my mind when I look at you. <laughs> I'm even oh. happier that I'm finding this out and you're, you're sharing this. And there, there is something beautiful of the, with the idea of having to, to, to open your arms up and to share it and to spread the love and to not keep it just within you because I feel like that's what light, like light is even about is that you had to break down in order to break through and absolutely right and so what i'm saying for you too is that do you feel like from that moment on to things kept looking up or like you you know you obviously you went through that you know divorce and there there are going to be challenges in life period right but do you feel like everything you've gone through now you're looking back and you're like shit I can go through anything now knowing what I've gone through. <laughs> I mean, 100. I, I think, I think um, going to school certainly kept me sane. And I think, I think the turning point moment, uh, there were three things that let me know that I was unstoppable, right? Um, number one, or four things actually. Number one, I had to fight the government for 10 years to recognize my illnesses, right? So I had a, a pretty much like a lawsuit against the United States government. And it's, you know, lots of veterans go through it and we don't all win, but I had to represent myself. So I had to learn a lot quickly in order to represent myself before the judge and win my case. And so, and I, and so that taught me to persevere and that perseverance was a superpower to just never get up and to keep, give up and to keep moving forward and I would win. The next thing was having my kidney taken out and I recovered so quickly that, and I felt so better, so much better that I felt that it gave me my life back. And when I woke up from anesthesia, I thought finance is not my future. That's not my path. I need, accounting is not my path. I actually studied forensic accounting was my second master's degree, which is what I was studying at the time. I have seven classes left and I do not know if I'll finish it or not because I don't know if it's necessary. You put <laughs> so, so much on your plate, um, nobody's going to even notice. <laughs> so, so, but I, but there was a time where I thought I needed that second master's degree to feel like I finally did something and I don't need that anymore because life has taught me that I'm enough. And the thing is, is life didn't have to teach me that because we're all born enough. We just lose that because we start taking on other people's um, narratives and they're spinning in our mind in the back of our heads and it's other people's voices that keep us from, from feeling like we're worthy and we're enough and that we're capable most of the time. And so what happened was, you know, this combination of losing my kidney and waking up and realizing my life had a different purpose and then my mother passed away and then, my second marriage crumbled from one day to the next and I got back up again 
And then I just realized that, you know what, I keep getting back up because that's why we fall down. You know, but a lot of people don't get back up, Kia. Like, what do you like? What habits have you practiced through the years that make you so strong? There are people that don't get up. Well, it's a mindset. A lot of people don't get get up because they don't think they can. It's all in what you believe and what you want to believe. It's the power of choice. You choose what you want to believe. The choice is yours. So when I realized that the power of being able to choose, I started to choose differently. Isn't that beautiful? That's cognition. I feel like that's a cognition. It's also awareness that we get to choose a different path. We get to choose outside of our conditioning. We get to choose. I mean, you... I feel like everything that you've gone through in life, you, you've had many moments where you could have stayed stuck in whatever that conditioning was, but instead you rerouted. That's not the easiest thing to do for anyone is to, to acknowledge that we have the power to change and create a destiny that we want to. And it's funny because I'm like, you, you also, what, what I'm getting to know about you is you're like a master reshifter at the same time. Just like share. <laughs> but better. <laughs> I don't know I if she thinks so, but yes. <laughs> Who cares? I love Cher too. <laughs> yeah. You got to. You got to as especially as a woman, I think, you have to be able to reinvent yourself constantly into I, more of what you want. I always say that's like anti-aging. That's the ultimate anti-aging serum is the idea of reinventing. It's funny. I, I don't know if you know this about me, but I thought about you because you're like, I like to dance. Well, you're going to laugh. A couple of years ago, I um, I never had time because I traveled so much that I never took dance. I like dance when I was younger and then I stopped for a very long time. Well, about five years ago or so, I started putting out an ad on Craigslist to, to look up a private dance instructor. And the, the amount of resumes I got, they were like pole dancers and just all sorts of weird dancing that I didn't like. So I gave up. But one day somebody told me that there was like a Beyonce dance class in San Francisco. So I attended, I showed up thinking I was going to be a badass and I haven't done choreography in like over seven years. So then I show up, I'm looking cute and fierce. And I was like the loser that was way far behind, but here was like this little mini Beyonce. I mean, she like embodied Beyonce to the fullest. And I was like, okay. Right then and there, I found my instructor, and then I also found that she was like quite spiritual and is now one of my my best friends. But if you ever come to San Francisco, we are so taking a class together. She's the one. I don't know if you've seen any of my dance routines, but then she she's the one who's like crafted my Janet Jackson um, dance routines and <laughs> do one for you too. Is what I'm saying. Like I want Kia to have her own dance routine. I'm just saying. <laughs> I used to take a dance class in Miami like that. We used to go and it was like so fun. Oh, I wish I could remember what it was called because they deserve a shout out. But we um, we used to go and we would, uh, there was a choreographer and it was like a club. You'd go in, they'd give you a bracelet and the lights were out and it was all chicks and we'd be in there just doing some choreography to like, 
you know, Nicki Minaj or something. <laughs> just but then she'll so give you your it. private so routine fun. is what I'm saying is that you need oh, your hey. own little say, hey. I need my own dance routine. Yes. I'll be on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, God, another thing we got to learn. Uh. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. you know, everything you went through and seeing how vibrant you are too, it's uh, – it's the story that you're right. We can overcome anything. And what I always tell women too is like, okay, we all fall and we just can't stay on the ground too long. It's like, what happens is people end up like rolling around too long that they don't know how to get up. It's like, mm-hmm. no, you've got it. It's that, that, that the wheel and the act of getting that feels the gut, the freaking hardest. It's the act of lifting yourself up. But once you're up, from a fall, you feel even more powerful. That's the moment I think every woman should stand up taller is mm-hmm. after that fall as you suck your stomach in and you stand up even taller and you walk it off like Beyonce and you walk it off like Janet Jackson. I mean, you are the example of that, my friend. And I'm so happy that Aww. you were able to be on the show today. I have to be honest, there was a bit of me that was like, a little nervous, but then as soon as you got it, I'm like, "Ah, everything's going to be okay. And we're all good. Like it's (laughs) girls chatting and sharing stories. So I, you have no idea how much I appreciate you and your presence and your existence, even for sharing the story. I mean, truly it means a lot. And like I said, it's you, you know, again, this is the idea of stretching beauty even further. Like yesterday I was talking to my girlfriend who was like a major, you know, uh, makeup and skincare influencer. And she's like, yeah, self-care is more than just facials. For sure. You know? Like you, what do you do for self-care? Like nowadays, like you don't, need, I don't know where you find the freaking time. Like seriously, how many hours of sleep do you get per day? I have to go to sleep by midnight at the absolute latest or, and I wake up at seven. Okay. Really? You managed Mm -hmm. to fit all this shit. This is crazy. I don't know if I believe you. I mean, everything that's on your (laughs) list, I'm like, she doesn't sleep and she still looks good. (laughs) I appreciate you. What do you do? Do you work in self-care? I don't say things I don't mean. Like everyone knows that about me. I don't, you know, um, do you, what is your self-care? Like, what do you get in for self-care? Like, I'm not even talking about beauty wise. Cause obviously I'm looking at you and I'm like, this girl knows how to take care of her skin. But, uh, yeah, like everything, what do you do? Do you meditate or anything? Yes. You, okay. Yep. I meditate. Like I meditate almost every day. I do some form of meditation because the meditation doesn't mean necessarily mean you're sitting with, you know, your mudra and your legs and Lotus, right? Um, a meditation is a lot of different things. So, um, when I sing, I'm learning to sing right now. So I, um, when I sing, it's a meditation sometimes when I'm rehearsing. Um, but I do things, self-care for me is doing things that I love doing. Self-care for me is spending time alone. Um, self-care for me is salt baths as often as possible and, um, good oils on my skin and smelling amazing. And, um, and like, and just, you know, reading a book, I love poetry. I read poetry a lot. Like I, um, I am a fan of old love letters from (laughs) great men to their sweethearts. Like I, 
get down on old school romance. Like I'm, you know, I'm probably got mid to late 1800s sort of courting, dating <laughs> practices. So I'm really old fashioned and I get down with like watching an old movie. That's self-care for me and drinking lots of red wine. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's that's self-care. <laughs> that's self-care for me, right? So it's a lot of things, but I definitely do meditate. I journal um, every day. I journal. I um, definitely do get into Lotus and do my mudra and I meditate. Um, I sometimes do chants um, as well. So I I get into meditation Um, and I keep, I'm grateful. In the morning uh, when I wake up, I always, I wake up at seven o'clock, but I don't get out of bed until eight. (laughs) I just don't. And what I do while I'm in bed is I lay there and I think about everything that I'm grateful for. And I think about um, what I need to get done that day after that and what I want my day to be. Like I visualize, I'm, an, I'm a visualizer. And also I, I think imagination is really important. So I'm constantly creating what I want my future to look like, right? So I spend that time every morning doing that. It's funny because I'm like, girl, I mean, if everyone can see you right now, ladies and gentlemen, anti-aging is self-care all around. Look at Kia. Look at me. <laughs> We're in our 40s. That I mean, that's anti-aging. That is I'm truly anti-aging. It, it's like, yeah, you're in your mid-40s and it's and you're like not even afraid to say it. One of my girlfriends was like, Twee, stop telling people your age. And I'm like, what? I'm I'm proud that I'm mm-hmm. I'm uh, in proud. my 40s. And honestly, I feel like a badass. Like you look like a badass too is I feel better now than I've ever felt. Like I feel better now and I look better now than I did when I was 20, you know? So it's uh, the self-care and taking care of the soul is true anti-aging right there, you know? And I I feel like even listening to you is a nice reminder. Like I think I've kind of fallen off the map here and there with my, my gratitude. I'll do it before bed or I do, I used to do it before bed or in the morning and I've kind of fallen off. I think living in the U.S., and we're not living in a third world country, so there right. are so many things to be grateful for. Like, I remember the first time I went to Vietnam, um, I was born in the U.S., but the first time I ever went, it was hot as shit in May. Don't ever go in May. <laughs> it's like, it's so hot. We'll keep that in mind. <laughs> it's so hot because it's so hot that you feel like your your insides, you're being, your insides, you're being fried from the inside out. And it was just miserable. Like coming back, I was thankful for my sheets. I was thankful for the air. I was thankful for every little thing. And I promised when I got back that I would never forget these things that I'm not like, I could have been born, I don't know, with rice stock, handling rice stock through a rice field in a rice paddy instead of being in the US. So I have to remind Mm -hmm. myself these things of being grateful and remembering to, you know, but I'm like you, I incorporate all those things. Like I need the balance in order to be happy. Mm-hmm. And what I'm feeling is you're not, by the way, men, I don't know who, what straight man's going to listen to this. But <laughs> he's single. What's your type? That's a lot. I mean, that'll be my closing question for you. Like, seriously, do you have a type? I do have a type. My type, I have, my type is, is the Seth MacFarlane type. That's my type. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you were so cute. I would have never gathered that. Okay. Okay. Yep. Like brains and, you know, funny and okay. Yeah. I would have never thought that. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. 
That's good to nice. know. I like nice guys that um, are focused and hardworking and treat people well and are sweet. And that are nice to the waiters. And old-fashioned. And old-fashioned. Yeah. You know what I watched the other day? Have you ever watched the original uh, Romeo and Juliet? Yes. It's beautiful it's like even like the costume and the designs and the way they're speaking to each other i'm like oh why men don't do that anymore what happened to chivalry i still think it's alive though it is it, it really absolutely is. is any man or i think anyone that enters your circle is extremely lucky as am I for even having you on this podcast. Um, Kia, I know it's like, like, I don't even know where the time went. Suddenly I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, it's been an hour and 20 minutes, but it's been such a pleasure to have you. And, you know, this is what this podcast is about. I'm excited to see the projects that you have in store. Um, I think I mentioned the beginning of the podcast that you are working on getting sponsors for your two new documentaries. If you can tell the mm-hmm. audience a little bit more about what the premise of these two documentaries are, and you're trying to submit it, I think you said to the New York Times, right? So yeah, I want. I'm the plan is I've got um, a documentary short that I'm gonna do. It is uh, all about military sexual trauma stories. I think that's appropriate to place in the New York Times. I've got, um, so when I interview women for the Female Veterans Podcast, it is shockingly unfortunate how many rape stories I hear, to be honest with you. And I think that people need to be made aware, especially in this time where, where they're quietly trying to do something about it, but it's still not enough and not happening fast enough. So I really think like bringing this to a media outlet that's prestigious like the New York Times. Um, And they do these kinds of really um, cutting edge and really interesting um, types of documentary features. Uh, I think it would be a good fit there. So that's what I'm shooting for. And I'm just gonna raise the money to put it together, but I've got it all planned out and, and I have the interviews and interviews is what I do. So that's not, a problem. It's just um, getting it all planned out and getting it into production. So, yeah. Well, if anyone knows how to make shit happen, girl, <laughs> I'm working on I'm it. Looking I'm looking right working at her. <laughs> I'm working on connections right now. I have some meetings coming up. I'm very, very hopeful. The second one is about. Um, so there was an all African American female battalion in World War II in Europe. And they were instrumental in paving the way for myself um, for integrating the military. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were um, up for the uh, Congressional Gold Medal and they did not receive it. And so I am creating a documentary about these women, these, these women, their story, but even more than that, the advocates who have been fighting so hard to see these women not be eliminated from the history books, to, for them to be recognized as the true heroes that they are. So they've been slowly over the last, say, decade getting awards, but this is the highest award that they could get. 
And there are other women who have received it. For example, um, the WAIFs, um, the airborne fighters for the women's uh, air force uh, in the World War II, they received it. Um, let's see, the uh, native code talkers received it. Um, the Tuskegee Airmen, everyone's heard of them because of the movie and all of that. Um, they've received it and um, the Asian American um, Vietnam era vet, or not Vietnam, but World War II era veterans have received it as well. They actually received it this last year. So um, it's going to be sort of a story honoring all of those folks, but telling the story of these women as well as the, all of the important people who fought so hard for them to get this medal, but yet they didn't get it. And it sort of explores why. So, well, I mean, speaking of why, too, I, I feel like your why is beyond powerful. You know what I mean? So it's like your intention behind all of your projects come to fruition when you do have this powerful why. So, I mean, that I mean, it's just, it's so admirable, truly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'll be watching along with the fans <laughs> and uh, where they can find you is creativity at creativity on mm-hmm. Instagram. And then also what is it? Hot topics, right? Yeah. At hot topics, topics, the podcast. Um, no, at creativity is my um, personal and I put lots of success tips on there. Lots of positive messages. Um, all sorts of cool stuff. And my photo shoots that I do, the pictures go up there and um, lots of just cool stuff. That's my personal one. And people seem to like positive messages. So they follow along. And um, at Hot Topics, the podcast is for my live stream show that I do. I do it every week. Um, it live streams to Facebook on our Hot Topics live Facebook page and our Hot Topics live YouTube channel we just started. And um, and that is, we just interview awesome people like yourself and talk about what they're doing. And it's a global show. So we get to share that for this conversation that we have with people from all over the world and share what they're doing to make a positive impact in the world. And that's a, a high honor and it has a podcast form. So you can follow that at Hot Topics, the podcast on Instagram too. How do they find you for private coaching? So you, you know, you mentioned quickly you have this the, the Rose method, but how do they find you for private coaching? You're like, ah, uh, yeah. So the Rose method. So the thing about the Rose method is I only take on eight people at a time for six weeks. So right now, um, I don't have any space available. But if you are interested in the Rose method, then you should hit me up on Instagram. Actually, send me a DM. And um, we'll go from there and, uh, and we'll get you set up for the next go round. Fantastic. They would be lucky to, to be with you. Um, so everyone, this is the Rara and Kia signing off. Uh, together, we can definitely out-trend any beauty trend so that it literally is forever lasting. Kia, thank you so much. Um, you've been such a pleasure as you always are. And you can find me at the Rara on Instagram. And we've got more to come.